Savage Savior. Have you been enjoying the Savage Savior series? I've been really enjoying this. It's been inspiring to me. It's been fun in preparation. It's been exciting to see what God is doing through the book of Mark as we're taking a tour through the gospel according to Mark, which we realize was actually the gospel according to Peter. And Peter was recalling it, and he's sharing the information to Mark, and Mark is the one that's recording it. So it really is the gospel according to Peter. And so we're kind of excited about what God's been teaching us. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful by calling this savage savior. And so we're using a definition of savage that comes from the Urban Dictionary. We're talking about Jesus being courageous to the point that other people say, are you crazy? That's what people are saying to Jesus. And he's like, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than this. What I'm thinking and what I know and why I'm here, you don't understand, but you will. Also someone who's not concerned about the consequences of his actions. Jesus isn't concerned. In fact, he knows what the consequences of his actions are. They're going to put him on a cross. And that's where we're headed toward today. Last time we left off in Mark chapter 8, verse number 22. And we, we, we ended our gathering with this. They came to Bethsaida. Read it with me, would you please? They came to Bethsaida. Say it like you mean it. They came to Bethsaida. Now, what we said was they had gone through all of this to get to Bethsaida. So if they went through all the storms and all the calming of the seas and all the the healings that they saw and all the persecution from the Pharisees, if they went through all that they went through to get here, there must be something gigantic waiting for them on the other side of the lake. So finally, they come to the dock, if you will, in Bethsaida. And the question that I had is, What was waiting for them in Bethsaida that was so important? What was waiting for them in Bethsaida that was so huge, so gigantic? And what was waiting for them in Bethsaida was a blind man who needed to be healed. A blind man who cannot see, who needs to be able to see. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. So Jesus is taking his posse across the lake and they go through a storm and they go through their first dock and there's kind of this revival and then they go to this, they experience a little bit of persecution from the Pharisees, the religious leaders are trying to uh, attack Jesus and, and Jesus shuts them down and then they get this crowd that comes around Jesus and so he, they get hungry so Jesus feeds them with a few crackers and some sardines and, and it's, a, it's a wonderful feast he gives them. Then they get in the boat and he said, boys, we haven't gone to Bethsaida yet, get in the boat. So they get in the boat and Jesus does this teaching with them very quickly. And then they're on their way and they get to Bethsaida. And the reason that he took them through all of that was to heal a blind person in Bethsaida. The problem that I have with this is there was a lot of blind people Jesus healed. I mean, he, he, blind people Jesus healed both that we know about and both that we don't know about, that were recorded in the Gospels and that weren't recorded in the Gospels. Because remember, it says there's a lot of miracles that took place. So, so what's the big deal about this blind guy? Why is this blind guy so important that he took them through all the... God took you through all that he took you through. And you find yourself here right now, right here today. Why did he take you through all that he took you through or is getting you through all that he's getting you through? What is the big deal about what he's doing right now? What's the big deal about this particular blind person? Well, Jesus didn't take him through all that to get him to Bethsaida to heal a blind person so the blind person could see. Jesus actually took them through all of that and they've been traveling with Jesus, ministering with Jesus for almost three years now. And now they're fixing to enter into the last two weeks of the life of Jesus. And he brought them all that way to teach his disciples, it's not about this man being blind. It's that you are blind. You are spiritually blind, even though you've been walking with me all this time. And so the challenge to us as followers of Jesus Christ is we might be blind. And so it's time, it's time for us to see. Now, i got to tell you an embarrassing story. Y'all, y'all will be okay with that, I'm sure. I was at the Man Up conference last week, a week or so ago, with a bunch of guys from the church, and, and we had a great time, and, and uh, we were checking in and registering after we had uh, the pre-conference activities, and we're getting our free T-shirt, because if you have a wristband to get in, you get a free T-shirt. So we're at the T-shirt station, and there's 2,500 guys. And so we're, we're at this T-shirt station. It's like a long counter, and I noticed that there were signs, small, medium, large, extra, large. I don't know why I had a small and a men's 
comfortable. They're small, medium, large, extra large, double, short, triple, short. They got all those, all the, the sizes there. And I told the guys, I said, listen, let's not wait in one line here. I told our fellows, let's get and go to the size that you want to get. All right. So they started. And then there was this another, another dude that was there, another fellow. He's like, he said, did you say there's lines for the sizes? I said, yeah, you just got to read the signs because it says small, medium, large, extra large. To which he held up his white cane and says, well, I don't see very well. Oh, no. Now I'm like embarrassed, right? So I'm feeling terrible about what I just said. Just look at the signs, right? And I didn't notice that he had a, oh, so I did what you should do. I just kind of snuck away. And no, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I, I tried to help the guy. I remember another time we had sitting in the front right here. We first started the church, and there were like 30 people in the church, including all the children, the nursery, and the mice that were in the church. I mean, we just started the church like eight years ago, and we got this building. We were thankful, and there was hardly anybody here. Except we did have a couple who were precious couple. Since then, they're, they're, uh, they're, they've, they're relocated. But um, they're sitting right here, and, 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 and she was blind. And, and sitting in the, in the, and I don't know what got over me. I, I say maybe it was an anointing, but my wife corrects me. Don't you blame the Holy Spirit for that, Troy? And so, and so what I said to the crowd was, I said, I really am passionately, it wasn't in my notes, passionately preaching about what God had given to me. I don't even remember the word, Craig, that he'd given. All I remember is I said this, what are you, blind? And then I realized what I had said, and she's right there. Jesus is saying that. What, are you blind? He just said that to them. He said it to him in Mark chapter 8, verse number 17. Just go back to two verses, or just a few verses, and he says, do you still not see or understand? Are, are you blind? Are your hearts are your hearts hardened? Do you not see what I'm trying to teach you? Do you not understand? Can you, does it not register what's going on? Almost three years you've been walking with me. You've been seeing what God has been doing, but you're not seeing what God is doing. What are you blind? Let's take a look at this, this, uh, this entire story about this blind man, and we're going to learn a truth here. As a part of this introduction, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought the blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Let me stop right there. Um, he had friends, and those friends got him to Jesus. I don't even know if the blind man wanted to go to Jesus. I don't even, I'm not convinced that he did. But his friends got him to Jesus, just like the paralyzed dude that was on the mat that we read about a few, months, a few weeks ago, and he, they tried to get their friend to Jesus. Well, they couldn't get him in the front door because the house was so full, so they decided they were going to take him home. That's not what they did. Instead, they figured out another way. Friends will figure out another way. That's why we need the church. That's why we need the family of God. That's why we need one another here. This isn't a social club. This isn't a hangout place. We don't punch a time card for Jesus so we get favor with Almighty God. We need Need the family of God. You're needed, and the person next to you is needed because we need to get each other to Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Now, I need to know the 11 o'clock gathering is awake today. Can somebody say amen? amen? Praise God. So we need each other. Friends care enough about each other to get each other to Jesus. It says they begged Jesus to touch him. Sometimes you need a friend to get on their face before Almighty God on behalf of you and what's happening in your family and what's happening in your life and what's happening in your body and what's happening in your mind and you need them to beg and bombard Jesus on your behalf and you're like, I don't got a friend that can do that. Then you be a friend that does that. You get on your face. You get on your face before God and you beg on behalf of that brother, on behalf of that sister that finds their life crumbling all around them and you ask God to touch them supernaturally that's what friends do is we take each other to Jesus Christ in verse number 23 he took the blind man this is Jesus took the blind man by the hand led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him Jesus asked do you see anything I think that's kind of disgusting don't you think just Jesus just spits in the guy's some, some other translations say he spits on the dirt and makes some mud out and puts it. But it spits on, if you spit in my, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? That means something different in our culture, does it not? Jesus, but I don't know that that was the important part. I think the important part of this verse is found on the second line. He took the blind, blind man by the hand, look at that, and led him outside the village. Why did Jesus have to take the guy outside the town to get him healed? Why couldn't Jesus just heal him right there? What was so significant that Jesus had to take him by the hand and lead him outside the village? Because Bethsaida was a village that Jesus had already performed with his disciples many miracles in before. 
Bethsaida was a place that they saw the power of God, but they would not recognize the power of God. They were grateful for the miracles, but they weren't grateful for the Savior. And so Jesus, even in Matthew chapter 11, pronounces cursing over Bethsaida. He says, woe to you, Bethsaida. It would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for you. So this is a place that is cursed by God. This is a place that did not recognize the power of God. Don't you dare thank God for his power, but not recognize that it's God's power and not your power. It is God's power, it's God's provision, it's God's omnipotence, it's God's glory. Can somebody say amen? How many of you know sometimes, sometimes you gotta get out of the circles of unbelief that you've got in your life in order to be able to experience God? Sometimes if you want Jesus to do something powerful in your life, there are certain places and there are certain people that you gotta get away from in order to experience his power. Now I'm not saying abandon relationships, but I'm saying there are some people around you that might be pulling you down and you gotta step outside of town for a little while and experience God's glory so you're full of the power of God to be able to bring them where God wants them brought. Look at verse number 24. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Now this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus heals somebody, but it doesn't happen on the first attempt. This is the only time in the Bible where Jesus attempts to heal the guy, but he doesn't get fully healed. So did Jesus lose some of his power on the boat? The answer to the question is absolutely not. Jesus is giving us a spiritual teaching, an understanding, a paradigm so we can understand that faith, we all come to faith in Jesus in stages. You've got friends that are certain stages and friends that aren't quite farther along in their stages. Now, we all receive Jesus when we accept him into our hearts and we all get saved instantly. We all get saved and we're part of the family of God immediately. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. You receive God's favor. But to get to the place that you receive God's favor oftentimes happens in stages. Because look at verse number 25. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So the blind man progresses from no faith to a little faith he had never seen before. Now he can see, and he describes it as, I see people as trees walking. He must have been stoked because he sees something for the first time. Don't you think that that would be an, a, a great expression of faith that would be an unction of faith that would be welling up inside of this guy? I can see something. I can see something. Do it again, Jesus. I can see something. And so he progresses from little faith to having, having, for no faith to having a little faith, which really inspires him and motivates him to seek more after Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. And now he has this faith that could, it, it changes his life. It's transformative. That's spiritual maturity. Now, after this miracle, the whole book of Mark shifts gears. It's, it's changing now. Remember, Mark's gospel was the first one written. Mark's gospel of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was the one that was written the first. So the other gospels have different vantage points and different themes to them. Same character, Jesus, same story, the life of Christ, but it has a different vantage point, a different perspective. But they all use the gospel of Mark as a uh, measuring rod, as a, as a, a direction for them, to, a reminder, if you will, the, the cliff notes, right? This is the outline. Others are a little more paragraph form. And so the gospel of Mark has been drafted, and, uh, and, and now we have it shifting over. And see, it's, it, up to this point, the first eight and a half chapters that we've gone through talks about Jesus and his sustaining power. I mean, he's healer. He is, he is authority over the spiritual realm. He is power over nature, right? He's sustainer and deliverer and healer. That's what we've seen so far. And now we're going from sustainer and right here, we're shifting the whole thing over to Jesus as Savior. Savage Savior. Now, that might not mean a lot to you right now, but give it about 10 minutes and hopefully it'll mean a little bit more because this shift 
It's all happening so fast. Anybody in here collect anything? Raise your hand if you have a collection. I have a collection. I collect, I mean, I just started about a year ago, but I, liked, I collect lanterns. I like like old lanterns. I can put candles in. And I, 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 my backyard, we, we were able to, the Lord blessed us with a home about a year ago this month. And so I like hang them up in the backyard and I keep looking for different antique lanterns and stuff. And, and so I like those. It's just to me, I like it to see it glow at night and just appreciate it. I actually feel like it's, to me, it inspires me because like the light of the world. I, I just amazing what a little light can do. And there's so many. I just think it's beautiful. That's what I, somebody in this section, what do you collect? Somebody just say something. Wow, pigs, right on. That's good to know. Like, like, like ham, you mean? Or what? what, what, what oh, oh, like little collectible pig. Pig, yeah, okay, I got you. I was like, yeah, I, I, I like a good ham sandwich. You mean, like, yes, <laughs> pigs, yes, yes. Yeah, you, you like ham sandwiches. <laughs> pigs, anyway, what did this, this section, anybody collect anything? Knives, right on, good, good, good. Anybody else collect anything? <laughs> Ever. You, you like to collect a lot of different things. How about this? Anybody collect anything over here? What do you collect? Ornaments. Ornaments. That's kind of cool. You have other collections? Pennies? Children? <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yes. That's good. So we collect. We, we, all, we all have collections. Anybody ever watched the TV program Hoarders before? Yes? Right? Um, because Hoarders uh, is like collections gone crazy. Yes? Um, I remember watching an episode once. I just can't really watch it very long, but I remember watching an episode once where a lady was collecting dolls, and she had in her house over 50,000 dolls inside her house. How many of y'all know that'd be creepy? That's like 100,000 eyeballs looking. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? That's, so she had, it was it taken over her house. Somebody else had collected over 500,000 books in their home. Now, you could not read 500,000 books in 20 lifetimes. You just couldn't do that. But they had that many books in their house. I think to myself, you know, other people collect all kinds of American Pickers. Anybody watch that show? I kind of like that show. I really do very much enjoy that show. They're coming to NorCal right soon. And they're gonna, they've been asking for people to email and to let them know places that they might want to. So I, I know a couple people, man. So I'm like, you need to talk to this guy because they've got a lot of stuff. Anyway, so they're coming to the area, but they, they look at, what hoarders have, and they see it as magnificent, and I just see it as a mess. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes? And so that's, that's collecting that's gotten out of control. Um, maybe you have had a collection that got out of control. Where the collection no longer serves you, you're serving the collection. Um, the collection has become meaningless because it's taken over your life. Later on in Mark chapter 8, after the shift from Jesus being sustainer to Jesus being savior, Jesus is now, in the last couple weeks of his life, starting to teach with a savage nature to him. And let's read what our savage savior says, starting in verse number 34. Um, then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples. So everybody come on, huddle up, fellas. Everybody come over here. Come on now. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man gain in exchange for his soul? So here we have Jesus Christ talking to the disciples and the crowd about a collection. He's saying, listen, you're trying to collect the whole world. Gaining the whole world. That's the collection you're after. But it's meaningless is what he's saying because you lose your soul. And so he's saying to them and he's telling us that there's something far more valuable that you should take up. In other words, give up your meaningless collection for a cross. And this freaks them out. I mean, they don't like hearing this. To us, a cross is a gold necklace, nice shiny thing we put around our, our neck, right? It makes us feel a little closer to God. It's a symbol of our faith in, in the resurrected Christ. However, to them, to hear, take up your cross, it was, 
it was a representation of somebody being executed or somebody being brutally murdered. It's kind of like us saying, you know, take up your electric chair and follow me. Uh, take up your gas chamber and take up your um, uh, needle and, and follow me. Your lethal injection and follow me. I imagine the disciples were kind of freaking out at this point because up to this point, they had been in Galilee. And in the region of Galilee, that's where Capernaum, Capernaum is at. That's where Jesus did most of his miracles at. And so they, they've witnessed this. They've been there. They appreciate what Jesus has done. And now Jesus has taken them across the lake. They camped out at Bethsaida. And he g- gathers the boys after they heal the blind man. And he all but calls them blind. And now Jesus says to them, yeah, listen, guys, I want you to understand. You got you to take up your cross Deny yourself, take up your cross, and, and follow me. And so they're thinking, well, up to this point, things have been pretty good, Jesus. Because up to this point, the crowds have been growing. We done been seeing a lot of miracles. Demons have been fleeing at the sound of your voice. They were even able to feed thousands of people with a boy's sack lunch, not once but twice. Sure, there was some controversies here and some challenges there. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is talking about taking up a cross and dying, but he's not just saying he's gonna do that. He's telling them to do, what? Is he telling me that I need to die? That's exactly what Jesus Christ is saying to you and to me. It's exactly what he's communicating to us. You see, they wouldn't realize, the disciples wouldn't realize till much later that this was a turning point. In Mark chapter eight, everything changes. Because up to this point, they've had things pretty good. But now they're at Bethsaida. And in Bethsaida, it's a stone's throw from Jerusalem. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And of course, like I said, the rest of the book of Mark is about this journey. The rest of it, all the way through, is is the the last couple weeks of the life of Christ. So this is a big deal. This statement that deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me is a savage statement from our savage savior. And you need to get this. How do we deny ourselves, Troy? How do we do do that? Probably plenty of the people in the house today that would like to know how we deny ourselves because you've heard. You've heard the whispers. You've heard the the declaration of the enemy over your life, the demonic realm, the evil realm, your history, your family of origin stuff over your life that says you're a liar. You're a cheater. You're an adulterer. You're insecure. You're worthless. You've heard this voice pronouncing this over you, and the voice of sin is loud, isn't it? And it's loud. And you you can feel like it's impossible to overcome your sin because that voice echoes so much in your spirit. Therefore, you really don't know what it's like to truly live in Jesus. Now, you've received Jesus, but you're not living in Jesus because you're a Christ follower that's walking in bondage. And we don't want you, we want you to be whom the Son sets free, come on, is free indeed. That's how we want you to live your life. So I want to reread these verses very quickly, and I want you to notice something that is not in these verses. When he called the crowd along with his disciples, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel is going to save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And then, or what can anyone anyone give in exchange for their soul. What you did not see, what's missing in this passage is the word sin. Jesus isn't talking about sin here. Jesus is not saying deny your sin. Jesus is saying deny yourself. And there is a big difference between just denying your sin and denying yourself. Jesus was on his way to the cross, was he not? And the reason he's going to the cross is because he's willingly laying down his life as a ransom for our souls so that we can be forgiven and cleansed from all of our sins. Jesus never told us to take up his cross because we can't do that. Jesus told us to take up our own cross. Can someone say amen? You can't take up his cross. His cross is too big. 
When Jesus was on the cross, he pronounced the words, it is finished once and for all. You don't have to beg for forgiveness from God over and over again. It's already been paid for. You can't deal with your sins on your cross because Jesus dealt with your sins on his cross. Can somebody say amen? See, your cross has nothing to do with sin. Your cross deals with self. Uh, listen, your, your sins have been taken care of by Jesus. You need to confess your sins. It's healthy to confess them one to another. Confess them to God. But your sins have been taken care of by Jesus. But your refusal to deny yourself minimizes the power of God in your life. Your refusal to deny yourself minimizes the power of God in your life. You will not experience the fullness of life in Jesus if you do not learn to deny yourself. This is not a fun one. This is the savage part of Jesus. This is where he's saying, yeah, you know what, what you, exactly what you want, yeah, do the opposite of that. Exactly what would feel good, do the opposite of that. Luke, in his gospel, actually adds a, a, a little bit more description to what Jesus is saying. He adds, according to Luke, that we, it says we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow, follow Jesus every single day. Jesus took up his cross once. We take up our cross every day. Every day we take up our cross. What does it mean to take up your cross? It means to take up Jesus' way of life. It means um, to take up Jesus' way of life means peace and joy and fulfillment, but it requires us to let go of some things. Turn to your neighbor and say, let it go. Let it go. Let it go, right? Let it go. That's what we're talking about this morning is you ever fallen before? Anybody ever just taken a spill? You know, you just fallen before? Yeah, me too. I'm, me too. I've taken a fall before. Um, kind of embarrassing story, but I was um, taking a shower once, and I, and I had a shampoo. In my, I know, shuddy, right? I had shampoo. But I had shampoo. Let's call it body. I had body wash in my hand, and it, it did one of those slippery things. You know what I'm talking about? Just slippery. And it starts slipping. So I grabbed the sucker, and I got a hold of it. But in the process of that, my feet came out from underneath me. And I'm telling you what, my feet came up and slammed, and I, the shower curtain came down, and the, and the shower curtain bar jerked over and took a chunk out of the wall. And the I landed down, I slammed my shin, thought I broke my leg. I was in some agony and some pain. This happened several years ago. I, you know what I thought? I thought my wife at that time of well over 20 years was going to come in after I hollered and, and whimpered. It was going to come in and stroke my cheek and say, Oh, you okay, darling? What can I do for you? How can I help you? Can, do you need a tourniquet or a Band-Aid? What can I do for you? Instead, she just couldn't stop gyrating. She was laughing so much at me. You know, just, just laughter, laughter, laughter. You know what I learned from that incident in my life? I learned, you better learn something or you might fall again. I learned something from that. And here's what I learned from that, that particular incident. If I just... Um, let go of the shampoo bottle that was in my hand and grabbed onto the handy-dandy handrail that they put inside. That's not to hang your washcloth on. That's just in case of such emergencies, right? You're fixing to fall down. You grab onto that sucker, and you're probably going to be just fine. If I had just let go of the shampoo, I would have avoided all kinds of pain and embarrassment and humiliation and repairs and expense. I had to buy a new shower curtain. Every one of those little, little doohickeys broke on the way down as well as the wall and had to do the sheetrock. Oh, my goodness. It was a crazy mess, not to mention the psychological damage that was done to me, the PTSD that I suffer with still today. From I wonder, is there anything in your life that you're holding on to that if you'll just let it go? See, the shampoo isn't a bad thing. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about things that might even make your life cleaner, might even make you more appealing, might make you smell a little bit better. But maybe God is saying, let it go. Maybe God is saying, let it go. And if you don't let it go, it's probably going to hurt you later on. See, see, God is in the business not of, of keeping things from you. God is in the business of blessing. Listen, if we know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does God in heaven know how to give good gifts to his? And so if we'll just let go of those things that we think we have to have, 
God will bless us even more. So I think God is saying to us today, if you'll just let it go, not only will that prevent you from getting hurt, it'll save you a whole lot of expense later on, a lot of humiliation, a lot of pain, a lot of aggravation, but he's saying, I got something better for you today. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So what I want to do is in the last seven or eight minutes, I'm going to give you three tools and write them down in your notes, three things, three suggestions that aren't necessarily sin, but three things that God may be calling you to let go of today. Can you give me about eight more minutes this morning? Can you do that? Three things. Number one, oh, you're not going to like these, but you already said yes. Let go of proving yourself right. Some of y'all that are married or in a relationship, yeah. Anybody besides me really like to be right? Is there anybody besides me that likes to be right? And I, I'm, I know that you're passionate about your opinion, but you obviously don't see things correctly because I, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody, uh, actually, Tasha, Tasha, where's Tasha at? Tasha's, she's back in the back connect corner. Tasha's one of our ministry associates here. Uh, she's my third daughter. She is an amazing woman of God, has so much more wisdom than I ever had at her age, and is so sweet and so sensitive and so caring and so loving. She was me- meeting with me this week about some of the departments in our church, and uh, she said to me, she said, Dad, I'm so glad that I'm a part of New Life Church because we're a counseling-focused church. And I said, Amen. Well, what she meant by that as we dialogued more was we're a process-focused church. You see, I believe in the divine power of Almighty God. I believe in the supernatural power. I believe in divine healing. I believe that God can touch you, and in a nanosecond, you'll be changed forevermore. I believe that, and I'm not taking anything away from that, but I also believe that God works in the process. Otherwise, why would we need an orphanage? We just pray for the children. They'll be delivered. They'll be healed, and they'll be just fine. We, we got it. We've got to have a process, right? Systems and processes is what God works through the majority of the time. And so we, we are a church that believes in the process. We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe for you. We're going to stand in the gap for you, but we're going to walk you through the process, and we're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in the process. And after a while, you're going to look back in the rearview mirror and say, oh, my God, I'm no longer where I used to. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be anymore either. Can somebody say amen? because it's in the process. And so I want to give you a little counseling um, uh, tool can help you just for a second. If you're in a relationship with somebody, if you'll take these four words out of your vocabulary, it will help you tremendously. Don't ever say this to somebody that you love or that you care about. Are you ready for the four words? I told you so, right? You take those, listen, don't go there. Don't use that phrase. It's, it's not worth it in the relationship. I told you so doesn't work. Mark, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus was transitioning from this celebrated um, uh, soon-to-be Messiah, our sustainer, and he's transitioning to this accused blasphemer. In other words, that's punishable by death. They're accusing him of a crime that he did not do, which would result in a series over the next couple of weeks of mock trials, would result in painful torture, and it would end in his crucifixion on the cross, or so they thought. Jesus, though, never said a single word. He could have said something, but he was mostly silent at his mock trials. You see, Jesus didn't try to prove that he was right with words. Instead, he simply did the right thing. Just do the right thing. This got me to thinking about, personally, about relationships in my life that I've sabotaged before. And you have too. Relationships that we've sabotaged before, not by, but because what we've done was, was wrong, but because we were trying to prove that we were right. And you can sabotage a relationship so quickly when you do that. See, taking up our cross in relationships means laying down our needs and exchanging our needs for the needs of other people. Philippians, Paul puts it this way, Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse number 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility... Value others above yourselves. There we go. That's what it is. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, okay, I'm dialed in, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's a colon there. What's he say? Who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So let's, let's not uh, get all ensnared in proving that we are right. You ever been wrong before? Sure you have. Sure you have. 
And so is Jesus, his best friend, one of his best friends, one of his closest comrades, one of his inner circle people. You know, they, they betrayed him. Sure, you've been wronged before. Have you ever been misunderstood before? Jesus lived on this earth misunderstood. He understands. It's kind of part of being a follower of Jesus. We're going to be misunderstood from time to time. I just need to remind you of something as a sidebar. God will prove that he is right in his time. God will prove that he is right through your life in his time. So he doesn't need you to prove that he is right. He'll prove he's right on his own. Can somebody say amen? amen? So living in denial, this is really important, is the call of Jesus to value the relationship over the argument. Mic drop, right? The call of Jesus to value the relationship over the argument. Gosh, that's hard, isn't it? Especially when you're right. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> value the relationship over the argument. So the single most powerful cross that you can take up in a relationship is the cross of forgiveness. You got to forgive. You got to forgive. Quit reminding your kids of their past failures. Quit reminding your kids of, of who you've labeled them to be. Quit, listen, instead, remind them of their potential. You draw greatness out of those kids and they'll rise to the standard. Maybe quit focusing on how she needs to change and just spend some time looking deeply into the mirror and say, God, how do I need to change? Man, that's, that's deep stuff because it's easy to blame. It's easy to shift it over to somebody else. You'd start taking ownership. No matter how much you feel like your hurt in your life is justified, God is calling us to let go of proving ourselves right and to take up his cross of forgiveness. I'm going to get through the next two very quickly, so write them down. Let go of living in the past. (laughs) That's a tough one. Let go of living in the past. Jesus says to follow. Follow implies forward motion. Can someone say amen? That's nothing you don't looking backwards. Jesus is calling his disciples forward to Jerusalem. And they're like, yeah, but in Jerusalem is a cross, and a cross is uh, torture. Um, so they're, they're wanting, they're tempted to look backwards. And what's backwards? Backwards is Galilee, where Jesus did all of the miracles. I think sometimes we can be so focused on the good old days, even though they're not really the good old days, but we get focused on what's behind us rather than letting God walk us through and experiencing what God is doing in the here and in the now. And we get stuck in our life. And so here's what I want to introduce you to, a principle that I think is important. A momentary glance at the past, well, that can be motivating. But a constant gaze... That's paralyzing. Uh, The children of Israel uh, needed to walk across the Jordan, and the Jordan River was at flood stage. And and God had already been working on their behalf before they even got to the river. See, before they even got to the river, he had already stopped it upstream, but the rest of the water was still flowing down. So they prayed, and the water stopped. They walked across on dry ground, and God's like, don't finish walking across yet. I want you to gather 12 stones, one for each tribe. I want you to erect an an altar there. And and most of it's going to be underwater when the water comes back, but after you get across the water, you can look back and you can, you can be reminded of what I did for you before. But here's the deal. When you turn back and you look back, you're, you're facing an obstacle, a giant in your path, and you need to be inspired and you'd be reminded of how good I am. You look back and you take a glance at that and you remember that I stopped the water before you ever had the need. You remember that I knew you before you were ever known. You, you remember that I'm in your corner no matter what. Whether you ask or you don't ask, I'm still going to be here for you. And so But what you don't want to do is turn that altar into a graven image. You don't gaze at it. You don't worship it. That's just a reminder of the goodness and the greatness of our wonderful God. Can somebody say amen? And so you got to move forward and quit gazing, gazing in the past. So let go, let go of it. Your destiny is not locked up in your past. Your destiny is ahead of you. So keep moving forward in stride with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit follow Jesus Christ. Let go of living in the past. And the number three, let go of your need for certainty. I, I, I got to know. I just, I need to know. I'm, God, I really need to know. You got to let go of your need for certainty. If you'll just write it and fire in my backyard, I won't ask another thing. I just got to know, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right person to be in relationship? Is this, God, I, I let go of your need for certainty. Our family we have four daughters, and we, have, we had adopted three sons. And so we were the Stein Nine, uh, seven kids. Um, 
And uh, we used to, a long time ago, um, when the kids were all younger, we all have, you've got adult children now, but um, when the kids were younger, um, we would do date nights every Saturday night. Um, I would take the boys, Keely would take the girls. I would teach the boys how to be men. She would teach the girls how to be ladies. And we'd have a great time connecting with them. And then the next Saturday night, we'd switch. And I would, take, I would date my daughters, treat them like princesses, get the doors, do the things you're supposed to do. And she would have the boys get her door and make sure they learned how to be gentlemen and all that. So we'd date our kids. Um, my kids, my daughters, uh, still, um, still, uh, Last night I took them on a date. They're all adults. Two of them married. They've got three grandchildren. And one, they're just, they're just, they're, they're, they love to date us still. Um, I learned something from this one with my daughters. Um, don't tell them what you're going to do before you do it. <laughs> Daddy, what are we going to do tonight on date night? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Because you chuckle. Because if I tell you, uh, you'll probably either not want to do that, number one, or um, uh, if I change my mind, because something came up or I just wanted to change my mind, you're going to be very... How many have somebody in your family that change doesn't go very well with them, right? Like you change something, like you change... Oh, my goodness, you're sitting in a different... That's my chair. Oh, my goodness, just settle down. So we've got a couple like that, right? I've got a few kids like that. Change, they just don't deal with change well. Because uh, I remember having a conversation with them one time that um, plans are good. Um, Being organized and thoughtful is good, but we can't hold our plans too tightly because sometimes God has a better plan. Can you say amen? Sometimes you got to change your plans. I mean, the, the restaurant's too full or the budget isn't where you thought it was going to be when you originally planned the thing. Whatever, you got to change your plans. The disciples had a plan here. Their plan was great. We're going to go to Jerusalem because now Jesus is going to be crowned king. I'm digging that because we're his posse. And that means we're going to finally find freedom from the oppression that we're experiencing in our lives. See, it's all about me. God had another plan, and that wasn't his plan. His plan was to send his only begotten son to the cross so he could pay the penalty for the sins of the world. It was comfortable in Galilee, but Jesus has taken them to risk it all, uh, to go to the cross. Jesus is calling you away from your comfort, and he's asking you to risk it all as well. Oh, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear that um, he exceedingly abundantly above that, which I can think, ask, or imagine, yes, but it's going to be found there. It's not going to be found camping out over here. Uh, are you so comfortable where you're at? Sometimes you don't want to make the everyday risks that God is calling you to make. If that was the case, there would be no missionaries. Local or abroad. Maybe God's been saying, you know, you really do need a volunteer. I mean, we went from needing 70 volunteers for the explosion, our biggest outreach of the year with 3,100 people here last year on the campus. You'll be blown away by how many people come to this thing. Um, and you're like, it's an egg hunt. What's the big deal? Well, it's a big deal because I want you to rub elbows with our city, right? I want you to let them know that we're like, well, you're not normal, but we're like relatively normal, yes? <laughs> All right. So I want, I, want you to, I want you to just be nice to the city and let them know we love them and care about them. And I want you to be a part of that. And now we need like 18 more volunteers. So we get, but maybe, maybe somebody's been like, I, I want to volunteer. But then you're like, maybe I'm, I'm not good enough. Maybe they don't want me. Maybe I couldn't do it. Maybe I, and so you talk yourself out of it. Maybe you got an idea for the company that you work for. Maybe it's a way to increase revenue or make things a little bit more efficient at the office or in the work environment. But you think, well, my boss is probably just going to laugh at me and my coworker is going to make fun of me. So you just kind of keep it away and you keep silent. We tend to settle for status quo because, because that's what's safe. But here's what I know. We're afraid of the unknown and the uncertainty of what's on the other side of the, the what if. <laughs> but in my life, I've learned that God always moves on the other side of the what if. In my life, I've, I've, I've learned that God always moves on the other side of obedience. God always moves on the other side of faith. Anytime we take a step of obedience and we choose to let something go and trust God with it, God will bless. God always gives us greater. It's, it's a biblical principle. Anytime we surrender something good to God, God always gives us something something bad. I'm not talking about material stuff. Get that out of your mind. I'm talking about God's blessing when we trust him with everything in our lives. What if Jesus had stayed in Galilee? Let's just talk about that for the last few seconds. If Jesus had stayed in Galilee instead of going to the cross, well, things would have been awesome. They would have been great. 
You know what would have happened? Had Jesus stayed in Galilee, there would have been more uh, lepers being healed. Jesus would have fed more people, restored more sight to blinded eyes, empowered more lame people to get up and walk and carry their mat. Jesus would have cast out more demons. He would have righted more injustice in the world had he stayed in Galilee. And he would have raised more people from the dead had he stayed in Galilee. What a collection. What a collection that would have been had Jesus stayed had Jesus stayed in Galilee. But he let that go. He, he let that collection go so that he could go to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to be persecuted, falsely accused, tortured, and ultimately die. But his father had sent him to collect something even greater than the miracles in Galilee. How do I know? Because it says in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going, because I'm going to Jerusalem, because I'm going to the cross through mock trials, beaten and tortured, give my life, crucified on the cross, but three days later, I'm coming back with the keys in my hand of death, hell, and the grave. I am gonna rise victoriously, and when that happens, I'm gonna walk for a few weeks on the earth, I'm gonna ascend into heaven, I'm gonna send you the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and greater works will you do. Millions of people on earth, millions of people will do greater works than I would have done had I stayed in Galilee. See, God wants to use you, you as the solution. You are the greater works. It's knowing that God wants to do a greater work through, through you. See, when we live in denial, when we deny ourselves, we don't lose. 100% of the time we gain. Every time we gain. When we deny ourselves, when you go to New Dawn in May, if you go to New Dawn in May, you're not giving up a week's vacation. You are receiving a legacy for your family. You are receiving and investing in the lives of these precious children and relieving these team members that are giving their lives day in and day out for all of these. Listen, you're getting something. You don't, you don't have to go to work. You get to go to work. You don't have to give to the Lord. You get to give to the Lord. Can somebody say amen? Anytime we open up our hands to God, he fills us with something greater than we could ever have had. Certainly more than what we let go of. So what's God calling you to let go of? Let me show you one more scripture. Hebrews 12.1. I just love this. Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us let go throw off everything that hinders and the sin is so easily it's a web of deception the more we move in the cobweb the more we get entangled in it and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let go of having to prove yourself right come on new life let go of living in the past and let go of having a need for certainty i just gotta know you do not have to go where's the faith in your life you do not have to know god knows so what do you got to let go of? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your position. Man, in my line of work, ministry, you see all kinds of things. People need a title. You don't need a title. You don't need a position. You don't need a position. What, what you need is you need to walk in humility and humble before our God. You, don't, you might need to let go of a relationship, that toxic relationship that is pulling you down. I'm not saying abandon them. I'm just saying let it go. Uh, your need to be right. Maybe you need to let go, oh, here's one, of your attitude. Because your attitude just is uh, stinky. Let it go. Let go of your bad attitude. Let go of your, your, let go of your finances. In the Old Testament, there's a, a giant uh, related to Goliath. His name is Saf. He's got six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. It's freaky. But his name in the Hebrew means greed. Greed. And you know there was one of David's men, one of his mighty warriors, one of his men of valor that beat the thunder out of the guy and took him down and killed him. And his, I don't remember his name, but you know what his name means? It means generosity. Because generosity always defeats greed. Let it go. It's not yours anyway. It all belongs to God. How about your schedule? Oh, I just got to, it's, it's my life, it's my schedule, it's my time. I'll do it with my time, what I want to do with my time. Don't tell me what time I'm going to do. It's let it go. It's not, it's, a, 
It's it, that commodity that you have, the most precious one called time, yeah, it belongs to God too. Because he knows the very numbers of breath you're gonna breathe before you breathe your last one. Whatever is the thing you need to let go, it's, it's slowing you down, it's holding you back from the fullness that God has for you. But I've got good news for you today. His mercies are new every morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I'm so grateful for our Sabbath Savior. I'm so grateful that you are showing us, you're showing us, you're teaching us that we need to let some things go. We need to deny ourselves, take up our cross every single day and follow you in every single way. So God, today we, we receive the challenge to let it go. I wonder with your heads bowed, and your eyes closed, if, if there's somebody here, I know there's sign, I'm not even gonna ask. There is somebody here, probably many people, that are being challenged by the Spirit of Almighty God, not by Troy, but by God, to let it go. And you know what, that fill in the blank, you know what you're supposed to let go of. I, I wonder if you would just take a step of faith today and just say, okay, Lord, I hear you loud and clear. I receive, I'm an open vessel. My eyes are unblinded and my, uh, my ears are unstopped. I hear you. I get it, and today I choose to let it go. I give it to you because this thing is safer in your hands than it is in mine, and I trust you. I trust you, Lord. And so if that's you and you're willing to give whatever it is to God, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you what it is. I just want you to know that God knows, so acknowledge that. So I'd just simply like you to lift your hand up right now and say, God, that is me. Hands up all over the place. Come on, God, that is me. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. I let it go. I am denying myself. I'm denying my rights. I'm choosing. I don't have to prove myself right. I don't have to live in the past. I don't have to have the need for certainty. I don't, I, I'm letting go of my pride, my attitude, my schedule. I'm letting go, God, today. I'm letting it go. And I'm asking you to help me not pick it back up again as soon as I put my hand down. <laughs> I'm asking you, God, to help me trust you. And even as that Roman centurion prayed, would you help my unbelief? so that I can believe you for greater things. And I let it go. And Satan, you have no authority over me. God, you are my, my righteous ruler. You are the Lord of my life. And I let it go. And I thank you that you're empowering me to live a life that is pleasing unto thee. I give you praise for that today. In the powerful, awesome, holy name of Jesus Christ, can everybody say amen and amen. Come on now, amen. Come on now, new life and amen. I let it go. I let it go today. I let it go. Praise God. Praise God. Stand up, would you please? Let me bless you before we go. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. Couple things. One o'clock or in just a few minutes, maybe a little bit later if you want to, go straight to the, the round table pizza on, on airport. And they have pizza buffet. It'll be wonderful. Go and enjoy some time. Uh, they're going to be in the back for a little bit. New Dawn will be if you want to visit with them for a few seconds uh, and, and kind of get connected, get some information, some prayer cards so you can join us in praying and, uh, and connecting with them. And don't miss a single gathering between now and certainly in Easter. The next couple weeks are going to be absolutely amazing. Before you leave, I need you to high five three people, look them in the eye and say, let it go. Have a great week. You guys are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God.